Gracious Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning and as we live life today and into the future, help us to understand the hope that the Bible teaches that is found in the Lord Jesus. Let us hold unswervingly to that hope which we professed because we know who you are, that you are the faithful one whose promises we can trust and in whose promises we can invest all that we have or ever will have. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All my life I've played sport of one form or another. Uh, Some team sports, some individual sports. Uh, Here was me and a few friends a couple of years ago. Uh, You might recognise a few of us. I always used to look at this photo and think, wow, don't Scott and I look big, beefy, you know, bulked out in the chest until last time I showed that picture and someone said, you and Scott have got big boobs. But... um, I'm going with the, I was in prime physical condition at that stage because there's no videos of the day because we certainly weren't, were we, Damo? But you know what, when you play sport and you play with teams, uh, there's a whole lot of different attitudes that comes to life in that team. Uh, One of them is, uh, if you're not utterly committed to the team, we don't want you here. That's the team that frowns on the person who doesn't make a training session or worse still, is late or unavailable for a game. Then there's this other sort of team where there's this big squad and uh, the motto is much more, if you've got nothing on, uh, we'd love to have you here. You know, there's more players than you need, but most weeks you get just enough to put people on the field and to make a full team. Now, even within that second team, there's people who love playing. There's a whole lot of players that play to win. But as a whole, it's not treated as serious as in that first type of team. When you think about church, which team feels more like church to you? Which team best represents what our attitude to church ought to be? As your pastor, I want you to enjoy coming to church. I don't want you to feel judged or shunned because you don't turn up occasionally. But at the same time, I don't want you to treat church like a hobby. I want you to feel a sense of grief when you can't make it. Not guilt, not condemnation, but a sense of regret. Disappointment at missed opportunities. Now, there's a, there is a sense in me where, where I'd love to take you to this verse in the Bible. As people often say, it's in Hezekiah 3.16. Anyone find me have the book of Hezekiah? That's a joke. There is no book of Hezekiah, right? Uh, you'd love to have that. That'd be a cracking verse, wouldn't it? If only it was in the Bible. The closest you get, if you get that close is that bit in Hebrews. Let us not give up meeting together. Now, when you think about commands in the Bible, 
normally they're like the tip of an iceberg. Uh, they're the, they, 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 there's a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, there's a whole bulk which lies below the surface. And so when it says, let us not give up meeting together, there's a whole lot of reasoning and thinking below the water that brings us to that point that that's the instruction that we're given. See, the commands of the Bible rest on a foundation of big truths about God and his purposes. And today we're going to pick up some of those big truths that ought to compel us to, to urgently and intentionally make gathering with God's people the big priority of life and of our week. Uh, we start with God. Uh, God is a God who, who gathers his team, uh, his people. So uh, Isaiah chapter 11 uh, says, God will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. And in Isaiah 40 verse 11, God tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those that have young. God is a God who gathers together. Uh, We can go to a whole lot of other places. John chapter 10, Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, the shepherd who knows his sheep. And he says, I lay down my life for the sheep, but I also have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. Uh, God is a God who gathers which does bring some challenges for us. You know that old line, you can choose your friends but not your family. Well, guess what? God has chosen you to be part of his family and he's chosen each of these other odd bods around you to be part of his family that he's gathering together. Uh, So, yeah, in a sense we can't choose this family, but this is the family God's given us to love. There is the flip side to the gathering because what happens to those that aren't gathered? Well, when they gather for the, the per- wrong purposes, if you go back to Genesis chapter 11, uh, the world gathers because they want to reach God and, and, and go about things the wrong way. They unite in rebellion against God. And what was God's response there? To scatter. Scattered them physically, scattered them in terms of confusing their speech. He scattered them over all the earth. And so... Uh, it's both end. God gathers people to himself and those that stand in rebellion are scattered. Uh, so Psalm 44 says, uh, you gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. Those that continue in rebellion. So the judgment of God is seen in the scattering of people away from God's presence, isolated from others. Uh, in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verse 8 and 9, talks about the judgment that is everlasting, that goes forever. And what does God say? They, those who fall under his judgment, not being saved by Jesus, will be shut out from his presence forever. So God gathers. The flip side of that is God scatters. But the salvation of God is seen in gathering his people. And God's grand purpose of salvation is not merely about rescuing individuals from hell. It is that, but it's more than that. It's God gathering a people to himself. Uh, the word we normally use is church, which literally means 
gathering. Church is God's people gathered together around God to hear his word. Uh, Because we gather as a family, and who's the head of the family? Christ who's under the Father. And so we gather around his word. And when you get to the final book of the Bible, when you turn and read through Revelation, that's where history's heading. That's at the heart of life here and life to come. A great gathering of God's people from every nation gathered around him, around Jesus, and singing and declaring his praises. And it's where we started this series. It's where the whole of human history is headed. This is what you've been saved to be a part of. So this gathering, those times when we gather as God's people, it's a big deal. It doesn't feel like that, does it? At 8 a.m. on Sunday morning. Can't I just turn the alarm off or hit snooze or... Uh, Sunday mornings when we were at college and we had uh, Olivia and she was, she was born in the April of that year and we used to travel uh, half an hour up to French's Forest for church and uh, one of my favourite little bits of the drive, we get to drive across the Harbour Bridge every Sunday morning. But when we got off the bridge, you're going through Narrenburn and there was these beautiful cafes it was 7.30 in the morning, it was sun shining, people are out, relaxing, having these lovely breakfasts. And, you know, one morning we had to stop because you know what babies do when they're like three months old. And they've been in the car for 10 minutes and they just explode everywhere. And so here we are at the side of the road cleaning up this baby, cleaning up this car seat, and there's these people with their papers and their lovely breakfasts in the sun. I'm thinking, but you know what? There was this great, greater gathering taking place that we were going to. The gathering of God's people around his word. But you think, oh, wow, wouldn't it be great just to sit down at the cafe and take it easy? Friends, as we've been going through this series, thinking about our vision, these are all these things that are tying together, right? Matthew 28, where we started, uh, did I put all of these in? Right, Go and make disciples of all nations. And so we have then into that discipleship path. We want to be moving people to the right, hearing the gospel, sharing the gospel, coming to Christ, being part of his people and working in the ministry. How do we do that? We proclaim the gospel. Don't worry about having to read it all now, but we we proclaim the gospel because that tells the truth of Christ that they might be saved. That's what we grow in. That's what we stand in. That's what in days like today, that's where we find our hope and our strength. Because we know, and these circles we've looked at, God's purpose is we'd be holy and blameless child of God, gathered into his family as he unites everything under Christ to the glory of God as we see the, the fullness of who God is. And in response, we long that God will do that work of saving people. We long that our community would turn to Christ. And we take we then need to take our responsibility serious point people to Christ, the Christ who said make disciples, the Christ who is at the heart of the gospel. And so we can express uh, who we are, that, that we are a growing community. We expect the gospel to have an impact. But what's the, what is it? We're growing community who are united together in Christ and his mission. Doing what? Outreaching to our community, our neighbours with the gospel, 
maturing one another as disciples of Christ and serving one another in love, which is building and strengthening one another to be doing the outreaching and doing the maturing so that Christ is glorified. That's who we are. And so uh, the first big truth under let us not give up meeting together is God gathers. God gathers his people. And so we pray that God will gather us such in Tom's that we would be 500 people belonging to five congregations across three locations, that we'd reflect the demographic profile. That's a tossy bit of a sentence in a demographic profile of the local community. We want to reach the people of this community. We don't want to see people left behind. We don't want to see people left out. So we want to reach all of them. 500, do we really want to reach 500? I'd prefer to reach 40,000, really. But there's 300 of us and 500 would be a good next step, wouldn't it? So pray, skip the 500, pray for 40,000. Let's work work and think for 500 because that's the next step. And if God blesses us and grows us to 500, we'll think about 1,000 after that. Five congregations, does five congregations matter? Four congregations, seven congregations? No, well, we, we often do well up to about 100. So five, five lots of 100. 100 is easy to fit into our buildings. That's why we put five there. But who cares if we've got four? We could knock that whole wall out. How cool would that be? Knock that wall out. Instead of those petitions, let's put a, like a fake, a faux wall up the back where those petitions are and so that we can set this up and fit 200 of us gathered here in the morning. How cool would that be? I'll tell Dan Gordon tonight to organise a working car working bay, mate. Let's get rid of this wall, build another wall up the back, change it around. Everyone who loves changes going, yeah, let's we'll, we'll do that tomorrow. We'll do that this week. All the people going, God, don't change anything else. But it's thinking. We want to save forty thousand people. How do we do it? Five hundred, five congregations, three locations. We're in four locations at the moment. They're to push us and to stimulate us to think because of what? The truth is God is a God who gathers. So what could that look like? Let's keep praying. Let's keep looking forward. Let's keep thinking, planning, building and working towards that. And we see what God does. The second thing is uh, God has a heart for relationship. Uh, If you go back and you read through John's gospel uh, about Jesus, you realize Uh, something very profound about God himself. The God is made up of three persons, Father, uh, Son, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and that they are in intimate, eternal, loving relationship. Uh, Jesus often refers to the intimacy of that relationship between he and the Father. So John chapter 3, the Father loves the Son. John chapter 14, I, Jesus, the Son, loves the Father. John chapter 10, I and the Father are one. John chapter 14, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. There's a great intimacy there, isn't there? But come to me, come with me to John 17. It was what was read for us. Because there something extraordinary happens. Phil's already given it away, but that's okay. The night before Jesus dies, He prays about his coming death on the cross. And what does he do? He prays for us. He prays for his disciples and he prays for all believers. 
that would follow. Verse 20, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So anyone who, just by the way, going back to Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, anyone who wants to think that that's just for the disciples might want to read it in line with that prayer, that making disciples is something that gets passed on. He's praying for us and he prays for us what? Verse 21, that all of them, all of those who believe, may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Jesus wants us to be in that intimate fellowship with he and the Father, just like he has with the Father. Verse 22, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. You want complete unity? You want fulfillment? You want, to, you want the ultimate in life? Jesus is saying where? It is gathered into that relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of his Spirit. Verse 26, that the love you have for me might be in them and that I myself may be in them. Hear all of that. God gathers into relationship. And so through the death of Jesus, something extraordinary and beautiful is achieved. He draws us into intimate relationship with the Father and into intimate relationship with one another. We're drawn into that eternal family of God and so the second of our prayers this is the prayer so that's on the back of the bulletin this week it's our outreaching prayer four lines there what's the most important line of those four line one is the one that matters that we would be a people with a passion for the lost. That's God's heart, isn't it? God gathers people into relationship. Who needs to be gathered into the relationship? Those who aren't. Who are they? They are the lost. We then go, well, what does a people with a passion for the lost look like? Well, we'd be a people going, who are the lost? How can we reach them? That's why we put five new gospel contact ministries, a vision that lasts for five years. Good to ask the question every year, is there someone else we could be reaching? Is there another group that we could be reaching? Is there something else we could do to reach the people in our community? Why share the gospel with 2,000 people? Well, if we've got a passion for the lost, what do the lost need? They need to hear about who? Jesus. Who's going to tell them about Jesus? Us. 2,000? Do we want to share the gospel with 2,000 people? Prefer 40,000, wouldn't we? And beyond that. But 2,000 is a good question to ask. It helps us ask the question, have you been talking about Jesus this week? Who have you spoken to about Jesus this week? Because it's a temperature gauge of our passion. Because I could probably put a, a multiple choice question. Or a question with boxes next to it. How many times this week did you speak about the weather? How many times did you speak about politics? How many times did you speak about how busy you are? How many times did you speak about Jesus? You could add your other other things. 
The idea's been building over the last couple of weeks. I hope you're feeling it. Is the gospel shaping your heart and your attitude to those around you, whether it's those gathered in church or our community? See, healthy family life, thinking particularly about us, well, it involves spending time together. How do you grow an intimate relationship? Together, time together with God and one another, uh, sharing and living out the family values. See, this family is a window through which the world sees Jesus. And on the night before he died, Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for us urgently. He prayed from, from the heart that we would be drawn into unity with God the Father, with himself and with one another. So God's purpose is to gather people because he's got a heart for relationship. And our gathering ought to be shaped by God's heart for relationship. The next truth down in that iceberg is that God's committed to creating a people. Come with me, turn to uh, Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is meeting with the, uh, the leaders of a church, the church in Ephesus. Paul's he's, he's made a special uh, appointment in the diary to go and catch up with them. He's gathered them together. He's anticipating, this is the last time I see you and speak with you. And this is what he says to them. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood, because I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and they will not spare the flock. Watch over one another. You're a flock gathered, but you're going to be under attack. Right? What do we get from that? One, the church is precious to God. Right? Jesus' blood was shed to create the church, the people of God. Each sheep is precious. Each sheep is precious. So let that be encouraging for your self-esteem, but let it challenge you about how you think of one another. Secondly, uh, the church is a flock of sheep. We're vulnerable. There are savage wolves who want to take out the sheep. But God wants his flock to be gathered and shepherded, protected by leaders who will watch over the flock. When we drift out of regularly meeting together, we not only miss out on something really special and precious, we put both ourselves and others in danger. So we're to flock together to protect ourselves and to protect one another. See, you'll get pushed and shoved about. If you think it... Let's think of us as just being a bunch of little woolly animals all gathered together, right? Do you reckon they're getting pushed and shoved about by one another? Yeah, at times that's happening. Sometimes it's an accident that happens because you're sticking by one another so you can protect one another. But as we blow up and we spread the flock out, we make us all more vulnerable but to be patient and humble and compassionate and gentle 
and bear with one another and forgive one another as Christ forgave us, all clothed in love that we heard last week. It's super important for the gathered life of the church. It, it, it's hard. Because some of those other sheep stink. And some of them are really, really clumsy. And even though sheep have those little funny little feet, I'm sure they tread on one another. And they nip each other. But you ought to know who is the biggest klutz and the stinkiest sheep of all. You are. There's a... reason to get shirty with one another and to disagree with one another. And we can argue about who's the dirtiest sheep of all. But as we protect one another, we need to keep coming back to the same point. We come back to Jesus. The the, the shepherd, to, to mix the images... What's the image from Revelation? He's the sheep, the lamb who laid down his life. He was the pure spotless lamb who died for us. He became the stinkiest one in the paddock so that we could be pure spotless lambs, forgiven, free. Yet we struggle to be obedient. We struggle to love one another. But thankfully we are part of a flock we want to work hard to help us help one another learn and encourage and to live for Christ. Again, picking up the prayers that keep coming up on our bulletins each week. We pray that we would be a people who understand and are committed to our mission. Right? United in Christ and the gospel to make disciples and see the lost one. The other parts of it, how, are the, how do we protect one another? Well, we'll get together in weekly small groups, open the Bible, read it together. That's part of protecting one another and growing and strengthening one another. Everyone getting involved with one-to-one discipling relationships, reading the Bible with someone else, even if it starts within the house or finding someone else to read up with. Because, you know, there's a reality that when we gather together like this, we don't speak particularly personally and particularly openly. When we get together with six to ten of us, we speak more openly than here. But when it's one-to-one, we can speak even more openly and more frankly. And we want to talk about our sins and our struggles and our attempts to be godly because we want to grow in godliness and grow in our relationships. Uh, And the thing and the driver for all of that is care for one another. How? Through the Bible. The Bible needs to be the drive. It doesn't mean we don't do practical things and we don't do fun things. That's all part of it. But the thing, the place where we grow is in our knowledge and love of Christ. That transforms us. So the Bible always needs to be at the heart of what we're doing and who we are. The last thing under that water is God's glory in the church. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It just gets harder as we go further under the waterline, doesn't it? We all want to be treated like that, don't we? But it's hard. It's hard to do that at times. 
we pray that we'd be a people challenging and uh, equipping one another to be engaged in ministry. Right? That we would be outreaching, we'd be passionate for the loss, that we'd be united in Christ and his mission so we'd be maturing one another. Part of that gathering together is to challenge one another to live it out in every part, practically in our lives, but uh, in, in, in the experience of involving in ministry. And because we want to protect the flock, and we know that we're a flock, but there's all these other flocks, we also want to send people to be trained and be leaders who are going to protect the flock in that regard. All right, let me come back to the command to gather, where it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The command there is let us consider. So I can't use that command, thou shalt go to church, but it's a challenge to all of us, let us consider. Now remember right at the start I read verse 23, right? It's all based on the hope that we have and holding on to that hope that we profess. And if we have that hope in Christ, that shapes the way we live. And what's the first thing? Consider how we're going to spur one another on. Now, what's the implication of considering how we spur one another on? That we gather together. A bit hard to spur when you don't gather in one way, shape or form. And if you let that idea of spur one another, one another on, the one another word, it comes up an awful lot when you read your New Testament. Where to wash one another's feet. We are to love one another. We're to live in harmony with one another. We're to stop passing judgment on the hearts of one another. We're to accept one another, instruct one another, agree with one another in the truth of the gospel. We're to greet one another, encourage one another, serve one another, bear with one another, forgive one another as Christ forgave us. We're not to slander each other. We're not to grumble against one another. We're to offer hospitality to one another. All of those commands assume the need for us to gather, to do it regularly, to do it consistently, to do it persistently. To do it on Sundays, to do it in Bible study groups, to do it in our homes. You can't keep these commands, you can't live this life unless you meet together. Being a Christian is profoundly relational because God is profoundly relational. He's a God who gathers and as we gather, we're to spur one another on to love and good deeds. That brings glory to God. That brings glory to God. Friends, it's an easy trap to fall into that I go to church because of what I get out of it. But at church, we gather to one another one another. To build on those words that we hear from our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. So I, I hope and pray you are richly blessed every week when you come to church. I'm trying to spur you on to love and good deeds as I teach and lead this parish. 
But your role is not to come and rate the sermon, nor is that my role when someone else is preaching, or to come to be entertained and looked after. Your role is to come and consider, how can I spur my brothers and sisters on? Now, I know that sometimes we look like an emergency ward and we need to be triaged and we need to be bandaged up and we need help. But our baseline is, how do I go and spur one another on? And do you know what? If, if that's my heart, those times when I'm bleeding and I need to be bandaged up, if we're all, I want to spur people on today, there's going to, my heart's, my, I'm going to get my wounds bandaged because other people are looking to spur me on as well. Friends, pray before you arrive at church. Ask God for opportunities to encourage and spur people on. I know a lot of you pray and pray hard, uh, and I've had 10 years of being humbled by your prayers for myself and my family and the ministry team here. But keep praying. Pray for all your leaders. Pray for one another because we're important and we depend on one another. We are God's church that he's put together. So, come back to our two teams. If you're not utterly committed to the church, we don't want you here. If you've got nothing else on, we'd love to have you here. Which best represents your attitude to what church is? The one on the left expresses that church should be important to us. But if, that, if we had that attitude, then we'd be tempted to judge each other for missing church. We would be made to feel guilty, even ashamed. That's the opposite of what church ought to be. Church is a place where we want to come to encourage, to love, to forgive, not to judge hearts or slander. We're vulnerable like sheep. We need to gather. And so when we're feeling weak or broken or rebellious or discouraged, uh, the last thing we need is for someone to judge us for not being committed enough. It's love, build up, strengthen. Yep, you know what? Sometimes we have to correct and rebuke one another. But it comes from where? Gathering, relating, committed to a people. We and you need love and encouragement. And we need to join together to do that. So we'll get rid of that one, hey? But the motto on the right doesn't get it right either. It sounds nice, doesn't it? It sounds welcoming. We'd love to have you here. But it fails to capture the priority of being here. If you've got nothing else on, it implies church is a hobby or an activity among many. Uh, and we live... Uh, in, a, in a society that's changed quite a lot in the last 50 years. Sunday's no longer set aside for church. There's stacks of things on that will compete as priorities and some will keep us away from church for a day. Someone, some will keep us 
away from church for weeks on end. We need to keep fighting to prioritize gathering with and as God's people. Not just when there's nothing better on, but because we want to be here. Because we need to be here for everyone else. Because we need you to be here. See, God's purpose is to gather the church. That's what we pray every fourth week in that together prayer. His heart is for relationship. That's our outreaching prayer. His commitment is to create and protect the church. That's the maturing prayer. And his glory is displayed through the church to the world. That's the serving prayer. To engage in ministry. That's the iceberg that ought to compel us to not give up meeting together. To gather with one another. So I hope you haven't been hearing the thou shalt go to church on Sundays or else command. But I hope you equally haven't heard church is an optional extra for life. God's purpose is to gather the church. God's heart is for relationship. God's commitment for you is to gather you into relationship into his family, for his glory. You can't choose your relatives, you can choose your friends. Well, God's chosen these friends as your relatives, as your family. Let me pray for us that we might one another, one another, over the long haul, uh, using uh, the words from Hebrews 10. Heavenly Father, let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Help us to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but help us to encourage one another. Help us to do it all the more as we see the day of judgment approaching, the final return in victory of Christ. Father, there's some of us who desperately want to be one another who struggle and find it hard. Our Father, help us to long to serve others as we gather. Father, for those who aren't sure about this but want to know more, please keep opening their eyes to see the nature of who you are and how you've loved us. Your nature as a gathering God of relationship. They might come to know you, trust you, and become part of your family, the church. And Father, for those of us, if there's any of us who are going, no, that's not what this is about, help them to go back to your word. And rather than go, well, that's not what I think, help them and help all of us to keep going back to the scriptures and asking, is this what you think? Is this what you call us to be and call us to do? And help us respond in a way that recognises who you are and therefore gives glory to you, our God, our creator, our saviour, our hope. Amen.